This is the Benefits Buzz Podcast, your weekly pulse on what's happening in the world of employee benefits. Brought to you by your friends at WEX, who believe in simplifying benefits for everyone. Now listen up, and let's get buzzed! Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Benefit Buzz. I'm your host, Nathan Coverstone, and today I'm joined by one of our HR co-hosts, Ryan Filipek. Ryan is a lead benefit analyst here at WEX. You know, HSAs offer an excellent opportunity for participants to save money on healthcare expenses and for employers to support their employees' wellness needs in a cost-effective way. But it's important to remember that there are HSA rules and regulations you and your employees need to follow in order to stay compliant. In today's episode, we'll discuss HSA rules for employees, designing an HSA program, and how to keep HSAs exempt from ERISA. I'd like to start by introducing our guest, Jason Cook. Jason is Vice President of Healthcare Emerging Markets for the Health Division at WEX, Inc., and one of the industry-leading voices on consumer-directive healthcare. Jason has spent the past 17 years on both the technology and banking sides of the HSA business. And as Vice President of Healthcare Emerging Markets, Jason has a core focus on HSA growth across the enterprise. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. Well, I think I'd like to kick us off by asking you a question right out of the gate, if I could, Jason, which is when it comes to designing an HSA program at an employer's company, let's talk about what they need to keep in mind and how do you determine if an employee is eligible to even participate in an HSA? So if you think about HSA eligibility, uh, I think the most important thing that employees need to understand is that they have to be covered by the HSA eligible health plan, right? I think that's number one. Um, the HSA eligible health plan is otherwise known as a high deductible health plan, and so or HDHP by acronym. And it's not really the best, I would call, marketing uh, spin for a health plan because there's a true advantage to employees opting for an HSA eligible health plan and opening an HSA. Um, but the high deductible health plan kind of, you know, kind of portrays a negative connotation to um, what the individual is enrolling in. So if you think about participating, it's the HSA eligible health plan, and then they can't be covered by any other insurance that might reimburse the individual below the deductible of the either single or family HDHP that the employee is on. And the individual cannot be enrolled in Medicare, nor can they be claimed as a dependent on someone else's tax return. So Nathan, if you think about it, you know, the one I always like to point out here is that, you know, the not being covered by another health plan lumps in medical uh, health FSAs. So if you think about an FSA, um, an employee is allowed to have a limited purpose FSA along with the HSA. They're not allowed to have a full FSA alongside of an HSA, nor are they allowed to participate in an, in an HSA if an employee's spouse is covered by a flexible spending account because that employee can be reimbursed under their spouse's FSA. So it's really high deductible health plan across the board. That's what they're covered by. No other insurances are, are coming to bear, just those high deductible health plans. Exactly. And can't be claimed as dependent on somebody else's tax return. Jason, can you talk to us about some of the contribution rules for employers and what, they, what they can do from their side to kind of entice employees to, to opt in and contribute to an HSA maybe? Yeah, so there are comparability, comparability rules when it comes to an employer contributing to an HSA. 
those come into play if the employer is not running the program through a cafeteria plan. So if they're running the plan, running the HSA program and the contributions through a cafeteria plan, there's non-discrimination testing, the comparability rules do not come into play. And so when you think about these comparability rules, you know, they're really in the same amount or the same percentage of the annual deductible for the HSA eligible health plan. So it's the same percentage for either the deductible of the single plan or the family plan. And it's going to apply to, you know, what the IRS calls comparable participating employees. And a comparable participating employee is, you know, someone that's covered by the employer's HDHP and they are eligible to establish and contribute to an HSA, right? So I'm on the HDHP. My wife does not have an FSA and I'm eligible to open and contribute to an HSA. Um, the employees have the same category of coverage, single or family, and they have the same category of employment. So full-time, part-time, um, former workers. I, I love it. It sounds like there's quite a few things that, that really employees need to be aware of when it comes to an HSA. But what do you think the main rules that employers should notify their employees about when it comes to the HSA are? Okay, so the main rules. Nathan, I like the question. I'm not going to dodge it, but let me start by first saying that, you know, whether you're an employer that's implementing an HSA program for the first time or you're an employer that's, you know, had an HSA program for several years and you're looking to increase the adoption um, of HSAs amongst your employee population, you don't want to roll out the HSA alongside a laundry list of IRS rules and regulations, right? So, I mean, what I mean by that is really, you know, employees are going through so much during open enrollment when they're making these decisions that they're digesting what a copay is, what coinsurance is, what a, a deductible is, what a high deductible is, that there's a lot that they've got to take in. So if you introduce the HSA program alongside this, you know, list of rules, um, you're going to have lower adoption because it, it makes employees more apprehensive. And so, you know, rather than doing that, I, I always recommend that you really talk about the benefits of the HSA program first, right? Things like, you know, the triple tax savings that we all know about, right? Contributions are, are made tax-free, um, earnings on investment and interest growth over years uh, accrue tax-free, and then distributions for qualified medical expenses are tax-free. Plus, there's the FICA tax savings. It's an account that the employee owns. It's not an employer-sponsored benefit plan. So we get all of that stuff out there in front of the employees that make them want to understand the HSA better. And then you slowly, you know, weave in some of the, you know, things that the IRS requires, right? You want to talk about contribution limits for employees, whether you're on a family plan or on um, uh, an individual plan. You want to talk about, obviously, needing to be enrolled in that HSA qualified plan. Um, you want to talk about the medical expenses that can be re reimbursed from the HSA. So benefits of the HSA first, then really getting into um, how to most effectively and efficiently manage your, your account. I love that. I, I really appreciate you calling that out, Jason. I, you know, I've had an HSA for years now, and I love my HSA, but I sometimes forget just how confusing it could be on the front end if, if you just have a little bit too much information overload. So that's a really good call out. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, again, as, as a best practice, it's not ideal to introduce the HSA program at open enrollment. It's best to kind of create a coming soon approach. And so ideally introducing, hey, you know, we're going to, we're looking at this HSA program, get employees kind of, you know, excited about what's coming out. And, and you know, we know for a fact that there are 
a tremendous amount of employees out there that are overinsured with the traditional plan. And they need they actually understand the benefits before they see all the rules and the regulations so that they can take advantage of it. I mean, if I see all the rules and the regulations, I'm not, you know, up front, I'm not going to take the time to go through everything to opt into something that looks super complex. Now, if I really think something looks great and I think it could be a great option and I understand it a little bit better, I might take the time to then go in and, you know, understand how to manage the account appropriately. So we know every year the IRS sets limits for how much money a person can put into their HSA. What are some of the consequences if someone goes over that limit? And then what can employers really do to kind of prevent that from happening? Yeah, so in 2023, if you're on an individual plan, you can contribute up to $3,850, $3,850. If you're on a family plan, you can contribute up to $7,750, so $7,750. If an employer over contributes to an account or if an employee over contributes to account, um, really if, if the source of funds reach the HSA from any means and um, it takes the employee over that contribution threshold, an employee will have to either do one of two things, either um, take a distribution for uh, excess contribution before tax filing to avoid penalties. Otherwise, if they don't do that, they have to include whatever amount is over contributed to the account uh, as other income, and uh, there's a 10% penalty on that. Now, you know, there certainly are, are, you know, solutions in the marketplace that help employees understand where they're at from a contribution standpoint. And so, you know, the idea is to engage with employees through technology so that they understand exactly where they are throughout the year so that they don't have to go through the process of, you know, sending in a form to take a distribution for excess contribution or, dealing with filing taxes and realizing, you know, on, you know, April 15th that, oh, oh you know, I've, I've over contributed and now I've got to include this as other income and now this is taxable income plus a penalty that I wasn't prepared for. I, I know personally, everything that I can do to avoid penalties is something that I want to do. So I, I love that there's technology out there to help support those goals. Uh, nobody likes paying fees, I think. Uh, Jason, while I've got you here, I kind of want to ask you a question. I, I alluded to ERISA earlier in the introduction, but if I'm going to be totally transparent, I'm not entirely sure what ERISA is or how it functions or, or why it is that HSAs aren't typically covered uh, by ERISA. Can I pick your brain a little bit and have you explain some of, of that landscape to me? Sure, Nathan, with full disclosure that I'm not an ERISA attorney, um, we can talk about this high level, but I think we could have a good conversation if that works for you. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, you know, we know ERISA as the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of, I think it was 19, 1974. Um, and it was really established with the purpose of protecting the rights and interests of workers who participate in employees or employer-sponsored benefit plans. So I think retirement plans think you know, healthcare plans. And, you know, with ERISA plans, with, you know, employer-sponsored health plans, there's this fiduciary oversight. Now, it's fiduciary oversight that doesn't exist with the HSA because the HSA is an individually owned account by the employee. So we talk about employer-sponsored HSA program. Um, it's really an individual account that the employee owns. And so, you know, when you think about 
all of the compliance burdens that are, are you know, um, come along with an ABRISA plan, DHSA is exempt from them. Now, so we can get deeper, and I can, I can tell you why they're exempt. So, I mean, there's two safe harbors out there that, that these things fall under. And so, you know, the first safe harbor for, for HSAs, well, I should, I should say that there's two, but really one is only relevant. So the first safe, safe harbor established by the Department of Labor um, has four requirements. Now, the first requirement requires that the employer cannot fund the accounts. So how do you have an HSA program if an employer can't fund the accounts, right? And that includes pre-tax payroll contributions because those are considered employer contributions. So, you know, you're missing out on the FICA tax savings under this one, and it's really not a great benefit to uh, either the employer or the employee. Now, this, the second safe harbor provided um, by DOL allows employers to fund the account, which is great. So now we, we get the payroll tax savings, but it also has some requirements. I mean, basically, you know, I should say broadly speaking, you know, the employer should not attempt to control or manipulate or advise how uh, the employee uses their HSA. You know, that's sort of the overarching theme. You know, individual account, not employer-sponsored plan. Um, employers can't control, manipulate, or advise how an employee uses their HSA. So think about contributions, like contributions to the HSA. Employ, you know, an employer cannot force an employee to make a contribution to the HSA, nor can they force an employee to spend their HSA dollars only on qualified medical expenses. Um, they can't advise on, you know, the investment choices that an employee makes, right? I mean, this is all stuff that um, I think employers are used to doing with um, when they've got the fiduciary oversight of an ERISA plan, but when it becomes an individually owned account, they've really got to stay hands off. So Jason, say an employer does take some of those steps to have some more hands-on, and as a result, it, it makes their HSA subject to ERISA. What are some of the uh, the rules and regulations that they would kind of be subject to at that point? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a, the financial burden of, of compliance, right? They've got to file uh, forms 5500s. They've got to provide you know, the summary plan description and plan documents. They've got to file DOL claim procedures and COBRA continuation coverage. But then, you know, on top of that, you know, there's a custodian for each one of these HSAs. So if the employer is going through a third-party administrator, a health plan, a payroll company, there's always a custodian or a trustee for these HSAs. And it's important to understand that if the, if the HSA program does fall under ERISA, most custodians will not act as custodian. So you could run into a situation where the custodian actually resigns from your employer's program. Uh, that seems less desirable. So big takeaway, make sure to keep your HSA away from ERISA. I'd agree. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I don't think any custodian wants the fiduciary oversight of uh, an employer HSA program that becomes subject to ERISA. Um, nor do employers want the extra burden. Yeah, the employers generally have enough on their plates. I mean, the goal of these benefits is to improve their employees' lives, not necessarily uh, eat up all of their bandwidth in the HR space. Let, let me ask this, I guess, Jason, as, as we're starting to wrap things up here, what other suggestions would you have uh, for our audience on, on how to design an HSA program, maybe from scratch? 
in a way that will ensure that they, they stay in compliance? Yeah. So, I mean, when you're designing an HSA program for, from scratch, I mean, you want to take into account a couple of things. You know, one component is the HSA eligible health plan. Obviously, that's an ERISA plan, but you want to make sure that that's a, a cost effective plan for uh, the employees. Uh, the next consideration would really be the employer contribution uh, strategy. And so, you know, is the employer going to contribute on a biweekly basis? Are they going to, you know, with payroll? Are they going to contribute on a quarterly basis? Are they going to fully fund the accounts day one? I mean, a lot of these things are, are considerations that go into designing a program that's an actual benefit for employees because you don't want to create the perception that something's being taken away. You know, you're really adding value with this HSA program. And so you don't want to create the perception that, okay, you know, whether we're going full replacement to the HSA program and the HSA eligible health plan or it's being offered side by side with the traditional plan, you want to create the perception and you really want to back it up with having a plan design that is, is benefiting um, the employees. You know, tax-free contributions, tax-free distributions for, for eligible expenses and, and those retirement savings. That's definitely a benefit for employees, no question. Uh, Ryan, any other questions that you have for Jason? No, I just really appreciate your time and all of your insight today. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. This has been invaluable. I can't wait to get this out to our, uh, our employee audiences. Thank you so much for the time, your insights, and uh, for being a guest on Benefit Buzz. And on that point... I want to thank you all, our listeners, for tuning into today's episode. If you haven't already, please click that subscribe button and make sure that you don't miss an episode of Benefit Buzz. And leave us a review if you've got some feedbacks. We appreciate you all. Thank you so much and have a great day. Wax is in the business of simplifying benefits for everyone. Now, although we certainly hope our podcast sparks some aha moments, like that was pretty cool, but of course we cannot provide legal investment or financial advice. And well, therefore, nothing shared in this podcast should be interpreted as such. We encourage you to seek out appropriate professional advice regarding your plans. Hey, congratulations. You made it through our disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks for listening.